Welcome to Two Profs and a Pod. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. And we are faculty and also faculty developers at Glendale Community College in Arizona. And today we are going to be talking about difficult conversations. And we're going to take you now to a conversation we had with one of our faculty here at GCC, Terry Desai. Terry has been teaching at Glendale Community College for a total of 16 years, eight years full time, and she graduated from Rutgers and the University of Pennsylvania Law School. So before coming to GCC, she was practicing law. Mm -hmm. She teaches a number of courses at Glendale from American government to civil rights and liberties to political ideologies, public policy, issues in American politics. And we came to talk with Terry because we talked with a lot of teachers who avoid controversial topics in their classroom because they find it awkward to have some conversations with students and aren't comfortable dealing with topics that are really controversial. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to come right to the source. (laughs) We wanted to find somebody who thrives on controversial topics and cannot avoid them because it's the nature of the course right. to talk about controversial topics. Right. So thank you, Terry. Oh, thank you're welcome. Thank for you. joining thank us today. Yeah, thank you for your time. Can, can you tell us how you set up your classroom environment to handle the issues that you're going to be talking about? Um, sure. I have a few techniques. One of the things that I um, do is in my syllabus, I list sort of acceptable or or unacceptable behaviors and I have a definition of disruptive behavior and things like that and then I go over it on the first day of class and I specifically say uh, we're going to talk about things that are controversial in here and sometimes it may make you feel uncomfortable, um, but that's the nature of the beast and we're going to do a better job doing it than the U.S. Congress and the president currently do it. We can do it in a civil way and they usually kind of know what I mean and I just say, if I notice that you're having a problem with this, I'll just pull you aside and I'll tell you to cut it out. And if you're still a problem, then we'll have to do something more drastic, but it never really gets to that. I think they're kind of with the program. That's one thing I do is sort of set out an expectation from the beginning so that they know that we might have this and that there's a certain way that I expect them to behave. So there's no surprises. There's no surprises, or at least I'm trying. Hopefully. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. Starting off. <laughs> what strategies when someone might say something maybe not intentionally or maybe intentionally that's hurtful or just really ill-informed or coming from a place of bias? Like when those things are said in your classroom, are there strategies you have to deal with that when someone has said something in front of the whole room and you're you're supposed to be the, the one with wisdom? Sage on the stage. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I do is kind of reframe it back to them. So if they say something like all people on welfare are lazy or something, I'll say, surely you don't mean to, you didn't mean to say this. And then oftentimes when I sort of reframe it back to them, they think, oh yeah, surely I didn't mean to say that. I didn't realize the the import of what I was saying. So sometimes I'll just sort of ask them, did you really mean to say that? Or surely you didn't mean to say that? Or 
you know, where are you going with this or something or to sort of bring them back so that they can think about what they said. When that happens, it typically tends to not be on purpose. It tends to be somebody making a like rather bold statement without having thought about the consequences of it. Um, although sometimes people will say things and some people will like there's a little hooting and hollering about somebody being offended. And I'll say, no, you know, wait a minute, let's just take a breath and think about, you know, why whoever said that and what they really meant. So that usually works. And I think that's great because I know that's like something that I try to practice in my classroom because of the fact that sometimes it's it's like kind of like what you said earlier um, in previous conversations that people kind of lack an awareness mm. of what they're saying or how it comes across. And maybe that's because they're used to maybe talking with their friends or their family and everyone kind of uses that same language and then they bring it to the classroom and then they think that's okay. But mm. but it's really helpful having an instructor there who can say, okay, well, let's, let's reframe that just a second. Like, what did you really mean and also not only that but also managing the classroom reaction mm. when someone does say something because sometimes that happens as well someone will say something and then someone will get offended and then it kind of escalates a little bit like what did you mean what did you say and sometimes I kind of have to calm the crowd or calm right. the class right. and say wait hold on hold wait hold hold on just a second wait let's 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 talk about this what did you really mean let's talk about this for a second and have this conversation so it's it's great knowing that you do that in your classroom yeah. and it, it kind of just confirms like maybe what I do and also other people and is a great recommendation for others if they don't necessarily know what to do right. in the situation. I, well, I feel like, you know, uh, you don't want to make it so that people never speak again because they said something that maybe they didn't think about and didn't come out exactly right. And as a culture, we're very quick to judge people on one statement. So I want to kind of give them an opportunity to clean it up a little bit and think about the consequence of what they said. That's really good. I like that. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. important. It's important. Very important. Because we also don't know what would cause a student to leave. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Either on either side, someone who got upset by something or someone who said something and didn't really think about what it fully meant and felt shut down. Right. 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 Because sometimes it's just maybe something little like that. It seems right. big at the time, but honestly, it's little. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and we talked just earlier before we started recording about teachers who are worried that something might come up, even if they don't teach civil rights and liberties. Right. Or even if they don't teach issues in American politics, mm -hmm. which I can't even imagine. <laughs> I know <laughs> that that why not have something in the syllabus anyway mm -hmm. that just kind of clarifies expectations for discussion topics, because students can always be discussing in the classroom. Maybe it's in the few minutes before class starts or right. something like that. And, and so maybe to have something in the syllabus for everybody right. would be a good idea and, and to say something on the first day. Hey, well, you know, it certainly can't hurt mm -mm. to have a little dis definition of, mm -hmm. I mean, I think mine is more a definition of disruptive behavior isn't going to be tolerated and here's what disruptive behavior mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could do it in a different way if right. you wanted to define, I guess I could just define what a civil dialogue is and or some, right. I hadn't thought about that doing it. 
sort right. of the flip way. We have we have a question here that we didn't really talk too much about earlier, <laughs> but just noticing maybe some differences in how conversations might have changed over time mm. from when you first started mm-hmm. to, to now, because um, some of us read iGen mm-hmm. uh, over the summer. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot about how the generation of students we're getting right now, right out of high school, are more tolerant um, than the previous generation. And so I'm wondering if you've noticed any differences in difficult conversations in your classrooms, if, if you feel like students are more polite with each other or... What what you're noticing? I think I've noticed um, that students are perhaps more tolerant of difference Mm -hmm. uh, than they had been before. And in fact, they... um, some topics that I used to be able to get a rise out of them on just they don't care. Like, they don't see why it's a big deal to even... I can't even have a controversial discussion about gay marriage, for example, because everybody's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is obviously good. Um, yeah. But um, one thing, though, it, that I think is, is more problematic with this generation is that they have access to a lot of really bad misinformation. Yes. And so they come into the classroom with just little sound bites of things that they think they know about the topic. And Mm -hmm. so their knowledge is very shallow and sometimes ill-informed. And Mm -hmm. so they want to have a big debate on some point that they read on Twitter that they didn't read the whole article or Mm -hmm. it's not a good article or so they have a lot of trouble with the fake news issue Mm -hmm. so um, Mm -hmm. one of the things here at GCC is we have that whole the library has that whole fake news yes Um, program series and I give extra credit for all of my students to attend those and in my issues in American politics class because that's a really heavy current events class I actually had the librarians come in at the beginning of the semester and do a fake news presentation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that when they're coming at me they're coming at me from a place of being informed Mm -hmm. yeah that's important I see that in my composition classes too where they're very hesitant about the information that they find and not mm-hmm. really sure about what to believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's a struggle too, because I, even adults that I know can be taken in oh, by. absolutely. There's so many even satire news sites now that, you know, I've seen adults kind of pass around thinking it's real. Right. Well, and the real news is a right. little bit like satire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But when we're all confused, you know, that's. Yes, very true. But it's definitely something that's really important, especially since, like you said, there's so much access to information out there. I mean, you can easily what go to Google, go to YouTube, you know, watch some information and then think you're informed mm-hmm. without necessarily questioning the sources. Right. You know, and, and we live in an age where you have to, you know, double check things, triple check things. And it's not just our students in the classroom. I mean, there are professionals now, right, who, you know, 
know, have to kind of do a double take on the information that they're putting out there to make sure that it's legitimate information from really credible sources, because it is very easy to, I think, you know, especially since some of these information outlets have gotten a little bit more savvy with how Mm. they, you know, present the information, it seems like it's legitimate. So I think it's great that, you know, in your classroom, you're definitely emphasizing that because I think it's definitely needed because everyone thinks they're an expert after watching a five minute YouTube video with someone filmed in their basement. (laughs) I'm a real uh, facts person. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really want to have a lot of um, talk about what you think about something unless what Mm. you think about something is is informed by some facts. And so I'm I'm sort of always trying to bring them back to, okay, I appreciate that's what you think, but where do you get that information or mm-hmm. how does that stack up against this information? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I do, um, if I know I'm going to have a topic that's somewhat controversial, if I know in advance, like Tuesday's topic is abortion, I will say, all right, now when you're reading this case, you know, I want you to be reading it to see what the Supreme Court said and why they said it. And then when we come in, we're going to analyze that opinion. So we're not going to have a big discussion about your opinion about whether abortion is good or bad. This class is about what the Supreme Court says about it. And if you have a problem with that opinion, what about the law is your problem? not your own personal biases or your own personal beliefs because that's you know that's not what the law is made of that's not what policy is made of right mm-hmm. and you're focusing mm-hmm. on policy which is about the facts and, and I think sometimes people do get that confused mm-hmm. like a like a policy argument with a values argument and they think like 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 for example my my values and my thoughts and and my opinions they're fact so right. if I just disagree you know like I just I just disagree with this or I don't like this and it's like okay well why and then they'll say well I just I just don't like it I think it's wrong and it's like okay well that's a value-based argument we're focusing on policy policy is slightly different so we have to look at the information and put the pieces together yeah um, which is I think a completely different argument but I think a lot of people oftentimes will get the two confused as far as policy and value and fact and opinion yes so I think it's important that the students learn that differentiation especially in the classroom especially in their professions in their professions when they have to make this policy decisions right you're going to make a policy decision based off of the facts and the information or you're going to make it based off of you know i don't like that but yeah that's, that's a different approach yeah. yes and the other thing is that i went to law school and so i was taught by the socratic method and so my classes are run in sort of a semi-Socratic method way in which when people make a statement, I continually am probing them for the limits of how far that statement goes or the analogies of, you know, the critical response to that statement. So I spend a lot of time sort of doing the Socratic method with them to try to get them to critically think about what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't allow for a whole hell of a lot of this is how I feel about it. Right. It's a lot more evidence-based approach. Right. We have one more question for you, Terry. And maybe you partially answered this, but what do you do when you get caught off guard? <laughs> I, which happens often, actually. Um, I do my best, really. I... 
um, sometimes I take a breath and I try to steer back to where I think it was that we want to be. Or sometimes I might say, that's an interesting point. It's kind of not in the scope of what we're talking about here today. Uh, If you want to talk more about that, you can come to my office or you can come see me after class. Uh, Another thing that I do semi-frequently is if I am caught off guard, not so much by something terrible, but just by a topic that I didn't think we were talking about that day. And so I don't have all my ducks in a row. I will sometimes follow up with like a canvas post and Mm -hmm. say, remember in class today, I mentioned that I thought there was a statistic about this. Here's an article that you can link to for more information. So I'll actually sort of give them a little follow up because what I find is there's a lot of, I don't have command of every fact about every topic I teach every day. I I mean, if I think today is gun control day, I come in with my gun control facts. Um, I don't have my abortion facts with me. So if we start talking about abortion, I can't necessarily remember. So I will say I will often send out a canvas after like a canvas note afterwards for a more in-depth conversation about this thing or for the real statistics about this. Take a look at this. And I don't know how many people actually do it, but at least it makes me feel better that I've sort of addressed it, addressed Mm -hmm. it, given them the opportunity to take a look at good information that, you know, thoughtful information. Mm -hmm. So. I'm going I'm going to add one more question. Yes. So if you if you had a colleague come to you who was having a challenging time, is there anything besides what you've already said right now that you would say to them about dealing with difficult conversations in the classroom? Any piece of advice? Well, I just put you on the spot. <laughs> I don't know. I am a lawyer. I should be able to think on my feet. I guess what I'd say is, is for me, um, I, for the most part, think it's fun mm-hmm. to have this kind of rough and tumble, rollicky kind of stuff. But I do know that a lot of my fellow faculty really want to be prepared for every single contingency. And mm-hmm. so they feel very uncomfortable if they don't know exactly what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I guess my advice would be, it's not that horrible if, you know, if you go off script and you see what happens, you know, you're, you're, right. you're very well able to handle that mm-hmm. just because it's out of your comfort zone doesn't mean you can't, you can't do it. So I don't mm. know if that's. No, I, I kind of like that. It's the, it, there's a little freedom in that, right? Like yeah. it's okay to have something unexpected happen. Yeah, Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. And, you know, how bad can it be? Yeah. And then I think also just putting it out there, it's, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. And you're not always going to have the answers. And sometimes that's maybe your response. It's like, wow, I, I've even said that in the classroom. It's like, wow, that was totally unexpected. I don't even really know really how to address that it's and sometimes I'll even say wow there's there's so much to unpack there that's really interesting and, and I say all that because sometimes <laughs> it gives me a moment stalling. <laughs> like to stall <laughs> and think how am I gonna address this question I really don't know um and and sometimes like that'll that'll open the door for me to kind of collect my thoughts mm-hmm. in that moment to kind of think and just be very honest in that moment and say okay this is my reaction to this situation and how I'm definitely not prepared 
for that. But let's see how maybe we could make this a learning moment or or maybe if it's so far left field, we'll have to say, let's put a, a placeholder on that for just a second. And, you know, maybe if we can come back to that, we can. Um, and if not, like, for example, your canvas suggestion, I think is great, right? Yeah. If you are completely off guard, you don't know how to respond. You could just be honest and say, well, I really don't know. But you know what? I well, This is what I can do. I can maybe provide some information that will address that question specifically. And then you can go online and, and, and look at that information so that it can address your question or whatever thought that you had in that moment and that way that gives you more time to kind of mm. go back and follow up on that so I know that's definitely something I would love to use in my classroom specifically um, and it could be helpful for those off guard moments those mm. off guard moments because you have a tool that you can use to kind of say you know what? I don't have an answer but this is where you could find one later and I have come back occasionally in a class later and said you know somebody asked me this or wanted to talk about this and here's like an activity related to that or, or a question about that. So I don't do that because there's just so much to cover and you just get so far behind. Right. And that's why the canvas thing is just sort of you can go on your go down that rabbit hole by yourself. I've raised two children and they teach you to be humble and you learn that, you know, I say to my children all the time, I don't know, let's go figure it out mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the time. So mm-hmm. I don't have a problem. I, I'm, I don't know. I don't think that makes me less of a teacher to say, I don't know, let's go figure it no, out. No, no. So no, I don't think it does either. But I think we do. I, there, I think there are teachers out there who feel like they have to know everything. I think and, so, And to too. not to have that vulnerability in front of a class is scary for some people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think that's what makes us honest and also real. Oh, yeah. Right? That we don't have all the answers, but, mm-hmm. but we're willing to, in the best way that we can, help you to figure that out right. if we can in this place, in this space. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, Terry. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank fun. you for your time. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for visiting with us today. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> So having this conversation with Terry, it actually reminds me of another conversation we've had on a previous episode. If you've been a listener for a while, you might be familiar with our previous episode on civility. So what I think is interesting is that incivility continues to be an issue. Uh, The National Institute for Civil Discourse, which is a group out of the University of Arizona, actually cited a 2013 Civility in America survey that found that 70% of Americans believe incivility has reached crisis proportions. And another thing that was really interesting is that some of the people in the study believe that government, American public, and media were considered to be the top contributing factors. And also classrooms and the workplace were also cited as places and spaces where we see this incivility, which I think is really interesting. Now, if you are interested in any additional resources, if you go back to our show notes, you will definitely be able to find the information there. So we're always all about sharing information and resources with our listeners. So this actually helps me to segue into what's on the radar. So Beth, what's on your radar? On my radar is a book that I have just purchased recently called The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. This is her follow-up novel to The Handmaid's Tale, which was 
Uh, one of the novels that our GCC reads spent some time on a semester or so ago, and so I'm very excited to read that. Uh, my reading list is so long, and I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to get to it, but it's sitting there on my dining room table looking at me. And the other book that I'm reading right now that I just started is Jeanette Winterson's Frankenstein. By the way, both of those books were long listed for the Booker Prize, and The Testaments by Margaret Atwood is a finalist for the Booker Prize. I, I think it's down to six or seven books right now, and she's one of them. So very exciting. How about you, Tanisha? What's on your radar? Let's see. So one of the things that's on my radar right now is Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. He just came out with his memoir, Over the Top. And I was reading a New York Times interview uh, about Jonathan Van Ness. And I feel that the, the book is a big deal because he really goes into detail about his personal experiences. And he also uh, openly mentions that he's also HIV positive. Um, so it's been getting a lot of focus and attention. I find it interesting because I do follow Queer Eye for the straight guy. And what's interesting is that with with the, with the show, Jonathan Venice always has this positivity and he's always about self-love and self-care. And I have often wondered, well, where does that come from? Or what has what has been his experiences with that? And from what I read in the New York Times interview, and I guess what's revealed in the book is where that's coming from. And he's really been through a lot. Um, the main thing that's been getting the focus is him openly admitting that he's HIV positive. But I think there are also other elements, not only from the New York Times interview, but um, also just his life in general, which I think is, is really, really interesting and even provides more depth to really who he is and what he's been through. Um, you get you kind of got a little bit of that information if you just saw the most recent season where he actually went back to his high school and they actually made over like this band teacher and there were some things that were kind of really brought to the surface and how it, it was it was a joyous visit but there was also some sadness there because there was just it was just a really tough time for him. So the person on my radar right now is Jonathan Van Ness. I haven't picked up the memoir yet, but I'm definitely interested in picking it up and, and just reading it in more detail. So we're going to leave you with this nugget. It's OK to be vulnerable and admit that conversations can be difficult. That's all we have for you today. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. Thank you so much for joining us today on Two Profs and a Pod. 